0: Do you have trouble turning off your brain meat at night? I invite you to take a break from your thoughts and listen to ours for a while. This is Overthinking with Steph. Quit overthinking alone. Overthinking with Steph better. We're overthinking together. Yep, that was stupid. Let's come up with a whole new intro. Oh, Steph. <laughs> yes. Oh, Lordy. Hi, salutations. The one topic that I'm going to touch on now I can't I mean it's one topic but it's like so much of my entire life that it's going to be very challenging to try and condense this into maybe a 20 minute episode but it has to do with anxiety um and religion and how those two hold hands and frolic in a field of glass (laughs) Okay, so I think how I'm going to start this one out is by reading something that I wrote, oh, just yesterday. No, just, it's May May 18th right now. I wrote it two days ago. Just jotted it down really quick in my journal, and here's what it says. Anytime I have to have contact with anyone, whether that be in person or on the phone, it completely throws off my entire day. It consumes me. It consumes my thoughts, my actions, my productivity. It's almost as if I have to spend most of the day giving myself miniature pep talks. It's exhausting, and by the time I have the meeting, the hangout, the date, the phone call, whatever it is, I'm spent. And physically tense. Sometimes it has taken control of my body, and I've pulled muscles in my neck. It's like I'm at war with myself, just to have interaction with anyone. Therefore, I feel most relaxed when I'm alone. Even then I use the word relaxed loosely because during that time I'm either recovering from the above ordeal or I'm working on myself trying to figure out how to fix myself. This pandemic has been a breeze for me and I want to think of the last time I looked forward to human interaction. Well, that just gets down to the heart of the matter, doesn't it? Real life, real talk, there it is. Um, For someone who probably presents as being an extrovert and very um, comfortable in my own skin and very well connected with human beings, you know, there's a lot of underlying things that go into making that happen and a lot of trying to teach myself how to be an extrovert and how to have connections that work for me and also teaching myself how to be a conversationalist because that is has never been part of what I've known and I've worked hard at it. I've worked very hard at it and I never want to stop learning, but the thing is what's important instead of learning how to be all those things, teaching myself how to function and watching other people's cues and studying them over the years and not just mimicking them. I want to figure out why I am this way why so many of us are this way and really get to the bottom of it if it's even possible to get to the bottom of it and figure out a new way of living of actually living and being the real me I think that's clearly important this is my life like I want to live my life as me that's <laughs> the real me you know that it seems so easy and simple I'm reading this book, I'm reading so many random books, but I'm reading this book called The Anatomy of Loneliness by Teal Swan. And I'll put the link in the show notes. But I want to read this in response to my journal entry regarding enmeshment trauma. I'm sure many of you have heard that. We're going to talk about a couple of possibly triggering situations and my experiences with anxiety and with the church and religion. So, keep that in your back pocket. And if you're not in a place to listen to this right now, silence me at once. So enmeshment trauma and all of the things that I talk about, I am learning about them in real time as well. I remember the first time hearing about religious trauma, RTS, religious trauma syndrome, which I've been looking into more recently. Um, And it's like a light bulb went off for me. Like that wasn't even thought about or allowed to enter my mind that there was some type of trauma associated with my entire, you know, you know, like over two decades of me existing in this world. So in this book, she talks about enmeshment trauma, and I think it was important um, in response to what I wrote in my journal. Enmeshment is a situation in which a person is not allowed to have autonomy. It occurs when personal boundaries aren't acknowledged, seen as valid, or respected. It is common in households where an adult refuses to acknowledge the child as their own person and instead regards them as an extension of themselves. The minute a person steps into the room, you will instantly feel as if You need to cater your every thought, word, and action to their desires, needs, perspectives, and preferences. You immediately lose your authenticity for the sake of connection. It's like walking on broken glass. The tension and pressure you feel as a result of not being natural will be immediate. So there is that little piece of information I wanted to give to you and something I'm reading about. Um, I would love to hear your thoughts if you start reading that book. I'm almost done with it, and I'm gonna go back and listen again. So in this quick episode, I want to go into anxiety that I experienced as a small child because of religion. And I know that this is not everyone's situation, and all I can do is share my memories with it and things that I've tried to... um, block out and can't, things that maybe I have blocked out, and then something immediately comes into my mind, and I, th- I think of that. Um, I'm not a researcher. I'm not, I mean, I am for myself. I, I think we should all be researchers, but I'm not a Brene Brown researching shame and knowing all about the topic. I am one person that feels that it is important to share my memories and my truths so that I can live fully in hopes that it'll reach someone else who maybe can relate to my experiences. All right, so I jotted down a quick list of things that I wanted to talk about, bullet points, if you will. I don't know what's going to come of this because this is not rehearsed, and I don't think it should be, but each of these memories about my anxiety growing up in religion, I feel like I could write or talk about for, you know, an hour each. So I'm going to try and condense it. And if you want to talk more about them, maybe I'll write about it. Or maybe we can talk directly. I'm not sure. Okay, so one of the first things that I remember during bedtime prayers, and I know some of you maybe won't relate to bedtime prayers and being tucked in by your parents or one parent, I remember being probably whenever you start saying your own bedtime prayers my mom would say them and then I would say my own one of the main things that sticks out it's, it just seems so pure and innocent as a five-year-old praying to the Lord when she turns off her brain at night and her thoughts my main prayer every night before I went to bed I would end my prayers with Jesus help me not to have any bad or good dreams Of course, a kid does not want to have nightmares or bad dreams, but the fact that I would pray every single night not to even have good dreams because my brain was so tired at the age of five, yeah, that could get into a whole other thing, but I think that speaks volumes that I didn't want to have bad dreams or good dreams. I wanted my brain to have um, a break <laughs> still probably if I were to say prayers still at the age of 37 I would stay still pray to not have any dreams. So there's that. I'll kick it off with that one. Another one that sticks out to me. I lived in California grew up and born and raised in Newport Beach, Huntington Beach, Orange County area. So Vegas was always really close. And we didn't go to Vegas for the the you know what more, most people think or go to Vegas for, which is like gambling and you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. No, no. We as a nice Christian family, we would go to Vegas to go to Lake Mead. Uh, we would go eat at every single buffet known to mankind. And then we also had family there, you know, and we would come back home from Vegas and it would be dark. So I would be in the back of our Aerostar van. Where did all of the Aerostar vans go? They are like, obviously they stopped making them but then they're just gone like no one has them anymore I haven't seen one in forever there were the two sections of seats my sister would sit in the middle section and we would be allowed to still buckle up but lay down and I remember being in the dark and waking up and panic but not wanting to disturb anyone so I just sat there panicking laying there in the back seat thinking what if the rapture happens right now what if my parents who were in the front seat and driving get taken from me and I have to steer the van if my sister doesn't make it or if I don't make it you know my sister was five years younger than me so she was little so was I so (laughs) thinking about maneuvering a vehicle when you're you know nine years old Um, in order to save yourself and save you know your sibling Um, how do I get safely to the side of the road so that we don't crash and die because my parents bodies have been taken from the vehicle and I remember thinking that often often that I was not going to make it you know the rapture I was never going to make it to heaven I was going to be left behind and I was going to be left in the middle of something to where a situation where I would have to take over and survive. Um, And the thing is, even if I did survive, it didn't matter. Like from the religious standpoint and how I was raised, it wouldn't have even mattered because I was already left behind. And if you were left behind, then you have to deal with the tribulation. And then you have to deal with taking the mark of the beast. And if you have no idea what I'm talking about, and this sounds like some type of weird movie, yeah. When you remove yourself from that religious environment and you look at it in a different light, it does look very silly, parts of it. But the fear is real. The anxiety is real. The stuff that lives in your body, the trauma that lives in your body is real. And You can't just get rid of it. It's not just like waking up and your parents telling you that Santa Claus isn't real. It is years and years of what I consider brainwashing. So undoing that, I'm still trying to figure out how to undo that. But So then that leads me to the Left Behind series and how they tailored the whole book series of the tribulation, the rapture, a second coming, all of that into a children's series to where kids could read this. As if we already maybe weren't suffering from anxiety at that point, let's read a whole series about being left in the world without our parents or, you know, being scared and um, fearful of not making it, you know, and being abandoned um, by everyone that you knew. And then going into like saving people. And that first episode I talked about, where as you as a kid, if you weren't able to save these people and save your friends and save you know their family who weren't Christians and they died and you have to live with the fact that they're in hell and you couldn't save them. That's not what I remember. Mostly that what I do remember is being a kid in Christian school and not being able to watch The Lion King. Um, so we weren't allowed to go to movies, the the theater, growing up, and then. I even felt such a sense of responsibility as a good Christian girl, didn't want to do anything wrong, that when my class in sixth grade watched The Lion King on a rainy day, I told my teacher that I wasn't allowed to watch it and I had to go sit in the principal's office during um, that time because you know The Lion King and Disney movies were made by the same people who made movies that were horrible, like rated R movies, right? But for some reason... I wasn't allowed to watch those movies, but I cannot for the life of me remember where and when I watched this. But as a kid, I watched this movie that was made in the 70s called A Thief in the Night. So if you were raised reading the Bible, there's a verse in 1 Thessalonians about, um, you know, Jesus being like a thief in the night and coming in the middle of the night to take his people home, who are Christians, and then everyone who um, is not a Christian, they're left behind on this earth. So this movie, I remember being really young, like I think I was under 10 years old, but I remember this one part where a kid was left behind, like a little kid, he was probably around my age at the time. His parents didn't let him take the mark of the beast, and he had to get his head chopped off With a guillotine and i remember watching that and thinking oh lord not really that would have been a ticket to the hot place because you can't take the lord's name in vain Um, so if i don't accept christ and live according to his plans for me and save people i'm gonna get my head chopped off and i'm gonna be alone on this earth wandering around without my parents because obviously they're making it to heaven And I'm just going to be left fending for myself as a small child trying to avoid a beheading device. Like, what? Yes, this sounds so stupid and is oftentimes dismissed as trauma because it does seem so silly that you would believe that or be taught to believe that. But when you're in the thick of it and that's all you know, That's what you believe because you are a child whose brain is forming and the people in your life who are responsible for shaping you chose to make those decisions because that's what they knew and that's where they were at in life. That's what they were told to do perhaps and they didn't question it. I think that's the problem. There is a lack of questioning and a very quick response to this is what we were told our parents obviously knew best. Let me follow in their footsteps instead of saying, why in the world is this something that I believe? So fast forward from that young age to now and trying desperately to have conversations that are productive with my family Not about even me being gay. I think that is something. So all of these anxieties are things that I would have faced and had anxiety about, whether I was gay, straight, anywhere on the spectrum. Being gay and being raised religious is a whole set of other traumas. So right now, for the sake of time, I wouldn't even get into that. But even as an adult trying to initiate conversations that are productive with my family, asking legitimate questions of why they raised me this way, why, why they chose this. And li- I think more importantly, because I think I know why they just, that's what they were told to do. I think it's that simple. That's what they were told to do and they didn't question it. But I think more importantly, is being heard, is, is having them see me and hear me share with them how that affected me without getting defensive, without, getting, um, without being dismissed because of something you didn't even choose, <laughs> didn't choose religion, didn't choose to be gay. So those two things, being dismissed for things you didn't even choose since there won't be the closure there with my family and then i've come to terms with that i have to find closure um and answers for myself in order to move forward let's go back to religion um oh just two other memories one was what i call the holy roller rolling chair i think i was maybe in 5th grade um raised pentecostal so you know anything can happen at that point you witness a lot of weird things um, that just seemed normal at the time. But one was after an altar call, I think on like just a standard Wednesday night service. It was normal to watch and witness adults being slain in the spirit, which means their bodies kind of go lifeless and fall onto the floor. But we had catchers. We had body catchers in church that would catch the bodies before they hit the ground. I think that's a song. Um <laughs> And they would then there would be designated women who covered women who were wearing skirts so no one would stumble. Well, my mom was taken by the Spirit one Wednesday night service. And on stage was, I mean, it was pretty normal to have people flailing about in the Spirit. And so I didn't question that part. It was more so when the church was service was over people were leaving like they were ready to turn the lights out in the church and my mom didn't come back to life and so in my you know young mind I'm like my mom is dead my mom is unconscious I don't know what is what I'm witnessing here Um, it's different when it's not a random person in the church but it's your mom and you watch your dad bring a rolling office chair into the sanctuary and put her lifeless body into this chair and wheel her down the aisle in the church and load her body into our minivan. After we collected her rings, we had to find her rings from the church because she'd shaken those off. Nothing was talked about. That wasn't addressed. That wasn't explained. Um, And then one time, I think also in like fifth, sixth grade, um, my parents told me, I don't remember which one it was, but um, after church again, just standard, you know, Wednesday night, Thursday night service, probably Thursday night because I was youth group. Um, they were going to cast a demon out of someone in the youth group. So of course I was warned, Steph, you can stay in the sanctuary while they do this, but you have to say the words Jesus over and over again. So the demon doesn't go into you or you can go wait out in the Foyer, like out in the outside, casual, just casual. Okay, well, I don't remember what I chose. I think I, I think I left. I mean, safety first, right? You don't want to accidentally have a demon inside of you. That's a tragedy. I wonder where that kid is today. I do think about. I remember his first and last name, but I wonder where he is. And if he ever got that demon cast out of him, I wonder what it was for. I wonder what the demon was when he was (sighs) sixteen. If we're being real, it was probably like the demon of hand-holding. He probably held a girl's hand or, you know, touched a boob. I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) Just sad what is real life, sometimes for kids. Anyway, those are some of the things that I remember over my lifetime that I never really got to tell or talk to my family about or anyone about besides my therapist, but I think it's important to bring those to light because even though they can sound um, ridiculous and, you know, laughing it off and I can make, kind of make jokes about it, that, that sticks with you. That sticks with you. And there's a lot of undoing there. So I will leave you with this. I recently started reading up on um, RTS and I'm going to read this section of a 20-page paper by a doctor named Marlene Winnell, and I'll post a link to this too um, if any of you want to read this with me. So these first two are comments from people suffering from RTS. I'm really struggling and am desperate never to go back to the religion I was raised in, but I no longer want to live in fear and or depression. It seems that I am walking through the jungle alone with my machete, no one to share my crazy and sometimes scary thoughts with. After years of depression, anxiety, anger, and finally a week in a psychiatric hospital a year ago, I am now trying to pick up the pieces and put them together into something that makes sense. I'm confused, my whole identity is a shredded, tangled mess. I'm in utter turmoil. These comments are not unusual for people suffering with RTS, Religious trauma? Isn't religion supposed to be helpful or at least benign? In the case of fundamentalist beliefs, people expect that choosing to leave a childhood faith is like giving up Santa Claus, a little sad, but basically a matter of growing up. But religious indoctrination can be hugely damaging and making the break from an authoritarian kind of religion can definitely be traumatic. It involves a complete upheaval of a person's construction of reality, including the self, other people, life, the future, everything. People unfamiliar with it, including therapists, have trouble appreciating the sheer terror it can create and the recovery needed. So, I hope you'll um, I hope you'll keep in touch with me about your response to this episode. I know it's a lot to grasp, especially if you weren't raised in that. Um, it's a lot to grasp if you were raised in that, and it's probably like a relief to hear people talking about it. I know when I heard the word, word religious trauma or religious abuse, it was like a weight had been lifted off of me and I didn't even know what it was yet. I just knew that's what I had and that's what I was suffering from. And I think when I talk about uncovering and digging into the layers and layers of trauma and why my responses emotional responses, or lack thereof, my physical responses, I talk about there's got to be some root cause. It is not lost on me that religion could be this underlying problem that I've been dealing with, or not dealing with the thing that I've been avoiding. And pushing down so that I don't have to deal with it and distracting myself with busyness. Because who wants to say that religion and something that was such a massive part of their lives caused suffering, hurt, tension, depression, obsessive thoughts, anxiety, suicidal thoughts for some, worthlessness... Lack of connection, lack of intimacy, lack of information about sex, not feeling safe, not being able to trust people in leadership or in authority. Oh, don't get me started on that. So many things. And that's why we're talking about it. Oh, and I didn't even get started on the condemnation of gay people and the topics and struggles that we have to deal with. On top of those already existing anxieties and concerns and things that keep us up at night, overthinking and obsessing about trying to be perfect, for what reason? Because our parents didn't question their parents? No, no, we don't have time for that anymore. It's time to question, it's time to rethink everything we learned and figure out why we exist, what our purpose is here on this planet before we die. I'm, I'm tired of wasting time. I'm tired of wasting time that I didn't even get a choice in like wasting. like It wasn't even my time to waste because it wasn't viewed as my life. I don't want to waste any more time. There, there's no room for that now in my life. My only regret is that I didn't start questioning sooner. But once you start questioning and thinking for yourself, the possibilities are endless. I will say that. And I am just thankful that you're here with me during this process. Love you all. Well, hey. Thanks for overthinking with Steph. Can't wait to hear from you on the Soch, so make your way over to at Steph's podcast on Twitter and tell me your thoughts. Catch the breakdown on Patreon where we get into the nitty gritty and overthink the conversations in this episode. Until next time, keep creating scenarios that will never actually happen and live your one damn life. Don't you hate it when you wake up first thing in the morning? Mind is stirring.
1: It's a already-
0: we